WBA Radio. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette, flying solo this week, again, without Jared Murphy of City Limits. Jared's getting some hard-earned time away, and I'll be away next week. But happy to be back with you this week uh, to continue a series of great shows here on Max and Murphy. And I do have a good lineup coming up again today. Uh, Looking forward in just a few minutes to being joined by City Council member Donovan Richards, who is the very likely next Queensboro president. Donovan Richards represents parts of Southeast Queens and recently won uh, what is something of a special election for Queensboro president that was... uh, offered after Melinda Katz, the former Queensboro president, won the district attorney race. Um, The election has been very much complicated by the pandemic. They had to actually cancel a previously planned special election before then, a regular sort of special election again that wound up taking place. Anyway, long story short, Donovan Richards won the crowded Democratic primary. It was a contentious one with uh, other city council members, former city council members and others in the race. Donovan Richards came out on top in that Democratic primary, and he's all but certain to be the next Queensboro president. He won't take office until uh, the beginning of next year, I believe, and we'll get his thoughts on his vision for Queens and a lot more. Donovan Richards will join me in just a few minutes. He is also the chair of the city council's public safety committee, and we'll talk with him about NYPD reform, about the increase in gun violence in the city, what to do about both reform and public safety, where do they meet, how do you make both happen at the same time, and we'll get Donovan Richards' perspective on that and a whole bunch more. He, in part, uh, ran his campaign for borough president around support for the ill-fated Amazon HQ2 deal. So we'll talk with him a bit about development and jobs in Queens. And of course, that applies to the rest of the city, his perspective on that and what type of trends he might want to be setting in Queens that could influence the rest of the city, how much he's going to listen to community boards as he makes his decisions and so much more. So council member Donovan Richards of Queens, the likely next borough president. And I'm very happy to be joined by our first guest for the day, City Council Member Donovan Richards of Queens. He is very likely the next Queensboro president. Council Member Richards, thanks for joining me here. How are you? Thank you. So good to uh, be back on the show. Thanks for taking the time. Appreciate it. Congratulations on your victory in the primary. It's been a, a little while since you knew the results, but we haven't talked, so congratulations. Thank you. Uh, and do do you have a general election opponent at this point? Yes, we do have a Republican opponent, uh, and we're just focusing on the message that we uh, sent uh, during this uh, election period. We, you know, we ran on a very strong record, um, whether it's on housing, whether it was on transportation, uh, all of the issues that we certainly made a big difference and I think resonated across the borough, which enabled us to win uh, to our nearest opponent. We actually were up uh, close to a little bit over 13,000 votes on the nearest opponent um, to us. So I think uh, largely our message resonated, but more importantly, our record spoke for itself. When you look at the crisis we overcame in the Rockaways, for instance, and how we've been able to rebuild the community back, but do it in a way that certainly addresses many of the systemic issues that 
residents were impacted by. I think that's what Queens residents are looking for. They're looking for leadership. And I think uh, they will speak loudly in the general election on the future of where this borough needs to go. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Uh, maybe maybe we'll uh, come back to the general election at some point down the line. There's some time given the, the move of the primaries from September to June. Now there's all this time between the primary and the general. It's a very foreign situation for these local elections. Um, it's, it's a little different. But um, say a little bit more about your district and what's happening there now. I mean, uh, we get a chance to check in with elected officials who represent different parts of the city. Um, obviously, we've come through, uh, at least in, in what hopefully is on, the only wave, but um, maybe it's the initial wave, we've come through to the other side, although there are still people getting sick uh, from COVID-19. But what's the, what's the general status of things in your district right now in terms of the public health crisis and the resulting economic crisis? Yeah, well, you know, there was no place in Queens that lost more people to COVID-19 than the Rockaways. Uh, Southeast Queens is also hit uh, very hard as well. I lost over a thousand constituents in the Rockaway area, uh, close to a thousand people in Southeast Queens. Many friends that I've, I've known for many years who we've lost to, to COVID-19. Um, so we're, we're seeing some light at the end of the tunnel, but my big concern still is that there are not enough people getting tested. Um, so we're going to be launching, uh, along with the city, a big initiative and big push over the course of the next weeks to make sure that people know we are not out of the woods, although we have sort of got through the eye of the storm momentarily. Um, but the mm-hmm. biggest thing is, is is preparing for the worst. And, you know, we have to anticipate as we move through the fall, as some people have projected, that we can see uh, another case of COVID reemerged uh, drastically, especially in communities like mine that historically have been underserved. We know the communities hit hardest have historically had the challenges of disinvestment. Although, you know, we are moving forward now. You know, I want to commend the Blasey administration in investing in the Rockaways and parts of my district in Southeast mm-hmm. Queens. But, you know, we're talking about decades of disinvestment. And um, and it's going to take decades to get us out of the hole. Economically, um, we're starting to see a lot more rental signs come up. I lost a supermarket, for instance, in Laurelton. Um, and a lot of our small businesses are just trying to hold on. Uh, just last week, I actually uh, heard the council actually heard one of my bills, which mandates the Department of Small Business Services to now report on where they are actually um, giving out these loans and grants that they are supposed to be given citywide to help small businesses. But what we uncovered at the beginning of that program was that over 56% of the loans and grants that SBS was delving out went to Manhattan. Um, as mm-hmm. of last week, 17% of Queens received loans and grants, but they still did not break it down geographically. So we'll be watching that closely to see um, equity in, in their distribution of these funds moving forward so we can help these small businesses um, stop the bleeding. Interesting. So, um, you know, so much of what's going on in New York obviously relates to what the federal government is or isn't doing. Um, we hear from the governor, we hear from the mayor, we hear from local elected officials, advocates, business owners. We know that the federal government, you know, is being looked to to step up further. So let's just put the federal government aside for a second. Are there one or two things you want to see from the de Blasio administration, from 
even the state level, let's say, but one or two things from sort of local government that you think are essential right now in the recovery that aren't happening? Is there is there something that, you know, you're looking to City Hall to do and saying, why hasn't the mayor come with a plan or a program on this yet? Well, I think we got to get economic development moving again. And that and, you know, a large part of the the um, strategy has to be around private public um, uh, partnerships, because anybody waiting for the federal government, as we did even in this last budget, everybody was waiting for the U.S. Senate and Congress to act. Congress acted. U.S. Senate left us holding the bag and went home, I think, last week. So the states literally are in disarray, um, partly because, you know, we have a Trump administration who uh, sees this as politics. And as he uh, largely says, you know, does not want to give funding to Democratic states that, quote unquote, are mismanaged, although he mismanaged this crisis and got us in this hole. So we're going to have to largely rely a lot more on private public partnerships. So there are projects that I want to see moving. You know, for instance, we have. Um, the former Amazon site in Queens. We have, um, you know, transportation is not a Republican or a Democratic issue. I'm hoping the Biden is, I'm hoping Biden pulls this off because we do want to see, still see some movement at LaGuardia Airport, although, you know, we still have questions about what the community benefits look like. You know, you have Auburn East and the Rockaways. So even as the outer boroughs become cities amongst themselves, we need to leverage these opportunities to bring commercial development to build real affordable housing and to leverage these opportunities um, to build out an economy in the outer boroughs, not just Manhattan. Um, even as we talk about COVID, you know, a large part of the reason why a lot of our communities, specifically communities of color, were hit is because we are largely the drivers of the city, right? We're going into Manhattan. We have these low-skilled jobs in a lot of places. We have to show up to work and we have to leave our uh, communities to get on the bus, to get on the train. And we shouldn't have to do that anymore. We should really, uh, really be trying to form communities that are self-sustainable, that offer employment opportunities, which will enable you to stay in your community and work, to live, and to have fun. So let's stick with that topic. I guess I wanted to come to this in a little bit, but you, you've sort of gotten to it already. Um, you know, even before the COVID crisis, you had a very, you know, a very similar, if not the same perspective that you just said, you want to see public private partnership, you want to see development, you want to see jobs in Queens, and the quote unquote, outer boroughs. Um, how are you going to bring that perspective to uh, the Queensboro presidency, assuming, you know, you prevail in the general election, which is very, very likely given how democratic Queens is? Um, you know, there's a lot of pushback, especially you mentioned the, you know, the old where Amazon was was potentially going to go. Uh, how are you going to bring a mentality to influence, you know, local elected officials, city council member Jimmy Van Bramer, for example, you know, opposing a lot of development, whether it's for jobs or housing? How are you going to change some of that? I mean, do you see your win in the in this borough presidency election as a mandate to move on these types of projects? And, and how can you sort of influence what the zeitgeist is on that? Absolutely. It was a mandate because I didn't shy away from growth. And that, that word has become poisonous for some reason in our city. And part of the reason is that the Blasio administration has done a poor job, I think, in spelling out accomplishments. They, you know, there were some good projects like downtown Far Rockaway that they just never wrapped the bow around and really 
translated to the public, listen, this is 100 percent affordable, a new library, new infrastructure. And the, the, de Blasio, the mayor, just never took that bull by the horn and owned it and went out there and projected a lot of the affordability and a lot of the projects that moved. Even during my tenure as zoning committee, there were a lot of good projects that moved. Um, and the city also has to do a better job, and I think that's part of my job, to not run away from responsibility and to retreat from these projects when they're private applications. And that's largely what you're seeing on projects like the um, uh, like the Sunset, uh, Sunset Park project, right, like Industry mm-hmm. City, where the city says, all right, hands off. No, you have to be a part of this conversation because there are legitimate fears out there, and we have to acknowledge that. But at the same time, there can't be a cancel culture either. You know, leadership isn't saying the jobs aren't for my community. Leadership is fighting like heck to ensure that those jobs are going to your community. I'll give you two quick examples. Um, Bartlett Dairy, uh, if you drink Starbucks, you're drinking their milk. They relocated to New Jersey. They're formerly known as Elmhurst Dairy, and they relocated to New Jersey. They now are coming back to my district in Springfield Gardens. We negotiated a 50% hiring bill, but we also put a reporting mechanism on it. So they'll have to report to me the next 10 years on where these jobs are um, by zip code, you know, how much are the hires getting paid. And that's an example of what you can do. And if you come to downtown Far Rockaway, for instance, I just got my monthly report from the developer on how many people employed down there. We've employed over 100 people in a community that largely had the highest unemployment in Queens for the last couple of decades. So we have 100 people working on that site right now. I know their addresses. Like, I got down to how much they're paid. What, they're, <laughs> what, what are they doing on the site? And that's the responsibility of leadership. And so and so we have to figure out ways to partner with local CBOs and to have them do this work. And the, one of the mistakes a lot of the developers make is they, you know, they bring these lobbyists into the room. They don't understand the language of the community. They don't understand the community. And if I had to critique them, they need to work with the community. If need be, hire people from the community to do a lot of this pre-planning. So that's sort of the vision I want to take to – um, Queensboro Hall, we have the template in the Rockaway. Um, you mm-hmm. know, people may critique me on real estate, but you'll never hear them say, you know what, the Rockaway project is bad. You'll never hear them say it because they know what we're doing is actually working. So you're Queensboro president, let's say next year, you, you believe in a project, the local city council member doesn't. What is the, what is the Donovan Richards approach look like in that instance? Look, I, I didn't come here to win a popularity contest. You know, I, I came here to, and I've always had strong relationships, even through disagreement with colleagues. You know, we always are open to the conversation. But at the end of the day, um, sometimes, you know, somebody's else approach may not be my approach. But I know that my template is very simple. Where do the community benefits? If, and if there's another elected official not aligned with that, I don't know what else to say, and, and I don't plan on being gentle. I, I said very early on that I do plan on playing an oversized role in a lot of these discussions with the community and with the community boards as well to ensure that we are not just saying no because we don't want density. No, let's, how do we leverage that density? Maybe there is a time we need to scale it down, but how do we leverage these opportunities for residents per se, like the Queensbridge houses, right, who had an opportunity 
you know, when people said Amazon wouldn't work forever, you know, there was an opportunity. 32BJ was on that project. 32BJ members largely looked like our communities. We couldn't find a pathway for them into a union. I mean, that's what leadership is about. So we have Mm -hmm. to critique these developers, of course. They should know, and they know that already, that they are not coming in walking out of a room with me and getting everything they want. It's about leveraging those opportunities for community with the administration, whoever the next administration will be. But I'll have to work with the de Blasio administration, obviously, next year. He knows my way. They know my way. So I am willing to work with anybody as long as their interest is not in politics, but in actually making a difference in people's lives. You brought up community boards. I mean, that's the obvious. That's the other other piece of it. You know, I mentioned the city council member, but they're you know they're they're often um, very much influenced by you know sentiments coming out of their local community boards. You know how uh, a lot of that goes, and and it can often be very challenging. Uh, I think for members of the media, I'll speak for myself, but I, I imagine also at times for elected officials to know how to weight the sort of louder voices and who's speaking for whom and whether the, you know, the Amazon deal was obviously part of this, you know, discussion where people said, wait, what about, you know, the, the kind of silent majority who seem to be backing it? What is your approach to community boards going to be? I mean, what kind of, what kind of power do you think community boards should have over local projects? So let me start with this. It's very funny because during the election, I remember I went to my backyard. We had a debate in my backyard. And if you know anything about CD14, there's definitely a mix of opinions. You know, you have the western portion of the Rockaways who has a different lived experience than individuals on the eastern portion of the Rockaways. Um, And what we often find on the western side is that they don't want any development, any growth on the eastern side, but they're the louder voices. Um, certainly on that specific community board. You know, I, I, I um, and I'm saying this now, I, I plan on certainly being a lot more active in the space and showing up to these meetings. Um, and, you know, there does need to be a lot more expertise on land use. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. one of the things I want to do is ramp up the land use division at Borough Hall. I want to make sure that on these land use projects that the community boards are getting the right information. And part of the problem we've always had is that the city always comes into communities with a plan. Why why isn't Borough Hall coming up with a plan um, and proposing perhaps there are certain corridors across the borough that, you know, there's a possibility of growth? Um, we should be coming up with that plan and presenting it to City Hall and saying, hey, we have some opportunities We've done some legwork with the community boards in the community, and here's a proposal on where we think we can do some responsible growth at. So we need to do a lot more um, instead of top-down planning, you know, uh, a community-level engagement plan, just as we did with the Downtown Far Rock Project, where we did like 700 meetings um, with the community before we even got the ULIP to make sure that the community's voice is truly in the conversation. And we need to make sure these community boards are diversified and that there are new voices and that there are younger people at the table, you know, because everybody has a different lived experience. Um, Mm -hmm. The other thing we need to do is focus on um, bias training. You know, I go to some community boards, you'll be astounded at the things you hear. And people have their bias, and it doesn't make it right that you can come to a community board and talk down um, about low-income residents or people who live in public housing or, you know, saying things like, oh, they don't know how to take their garbage out when it's just so far from the truth. 
So we mm-hmm. need to make sure that bias training is enacted because I see a lot of that in these community boards. And, you know, that is something I'm going to be certainly interested in looking at. You know, term limits are a good thing. <laughs> I said it all mm-hmm. along. Um, I know we had the charter revision, but I certainly even want to look at that. You know, are there are ways right. to make sure that term limits could be enacted sooner. I'm, you know, and that's something I'm definitely going to explore. I don't think it's healthy to have anybody on a community board for 50 years. You know, we have to make sure that new voices are on these boards. So I want to move to um, police reform and accountability and your work as chair of the public safety committee um, in, for much of our, our last five or six minutes here. But just real quick, one more on the, on the prior topic. Um, do you have sort of neighborhoods in Queens that you think are ripe for up zonings, you know, to bring more housing density uh, to, to certain areas of the borough? Well, I don't want to um, speak, put the cart before the horse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but, you know, there are certain areas. I mean, you look at Queens Boulevard, for instance, you know, I mean, you uh, one of the things I've heard continuously from people in, in that community is, you know, our retail is not working for us. I mean, there's a key opportunity, I think, even um, with the pushback on the jail there, I think that you're going to find a lot of people relatively, especially working professionals who will have to go to the courthouse. I think you're going to find individuals who, who probably want to be closer to that courthouse eventually when it happens. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I talked about Far Rockaway. Uh, we just, I think we just, we're about to uh, go into ULERP on the waterfront there, Arbor and East. There's still a lot of opportunity in Long Island City. You know, you got Sunnyside Yards that will come up. And then, you know, I, I don't honestly want to speak, you know, before I have conversations with the community boards. But, you know, those are places, you know, there are areas I think I would like to identify with each community board where we can find opportunity to, to grow, certainly. And so I think it has to be done collectively. It needs to be done more organically. But certainly there are areas across the borough that are ripe for more growth. And I imagine that that Sunnyside Yard project is one you're excited to sort of sink your teeth into and and see how you want to negotiate around it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Mm -hmm. um, I think the de Blasio administration, well, one, we got to be able to pay for it. I mean, it's good to be able to come up with a plan and concept, um, but but we need money to also follow that. Um, specifically as well. So, yeah, so that's a project that provides a a real opportunity for jobs, um, transportation, true affordable housing. And I I do think the administration committed to 100% affordable housing on that project, but obviously we have to get into the uh, details of what that affordability looks like. A community land trust is something I'm interested in seeing on a lot of these sites as well. So there's a lot, lot of food for thought there and a lot of opportunity, and we should not run from that. So what's coming up next as you chair the Public Safety Committee? You've been very active. You've been critical of the NYPD. Um, you know, you voted no on the city budget because of, um, you know, frustrations around the negotiation related to the NYPD's budget. Um, what's next on on this discussion? What Are you going to be having any hearings coming up? Um do you, are you going to, you know, bring police leadership in front of the council on anything that's gone on the last few months? What's, what's coming up next on that? Well, one, I, I think, so in the immediate right now, I'm very concerned about the cuts to the Civilian Complaint Review Board um, and the lack of um, part, uh, participation or partnership is the word I'm looking for 
between the police department and the civilian complaint review board when it comes to sharing body camera footage, which is a big part of um, ensuring that there's oversight and that the CCRB is armed with all the tools that they need. Um, the other thing that I'm interested in is the governor has put a mandate on um, police departments across the state to come up with a real plan on reimagining what policing looks like in the 21st century. So I want to start a lot of that work. And I think it's going to, we're going to have to have some hard discussions. I think, you know, some conversations around residency requirements, or even if you couldn't even do residency requirements, which require um, police officers to live, um, you know, in the city right now, I think the city should certainly be looking at incentives. And like other, there are other cities that offer incentives for officers to remain um, in their in, in their particular respective cities. So that's something that the city should be entertaining, even with these projects coming up. I mean, is there a way to make sure that there's a preference for housing? You know, we do city preferences um, mm-hmm. in a lot of the developments, 5%. Could we do that for police officers? Could we do that for teachers so that they're living in our specific communities? Another area of interest is DNA. You know, uh, I don't know if you've been keeping up with the reports that the DNA database has continued to grow astronomically. We saw 2,000 more individuals entered into um, that specific database over the course of the last year, even though the police department said that they would be removing individuals for that. And I think that that database largely needs to um, uh, be aligned with the state database and the the state law, which says that you shouldn't be in it if you're not suspected of a crime and if you're um, and if you are not guilty of anything as well, and the police department has continued to add more individuals, and I have questions on if they were adding protesters on, on that specific topic. Um, you know, I, I do want to talk about the shooting for a second because sure. uh, you know there's always this notion that we're not, our final minute. Yeah, that we're not interested right. in that as well. But let me just say, you know, I, I, I hear the police department. There were certainly some concerns they had around the diaphragm bill. I do want to, um, you know, open a door to them um, to have a conversation on that. But, you know, I just want to be clear that we're not going to um, just kowtow to the department without having meaningful conversations about reforms that need to take place as well. So if there are concerns around it, I'm open to having that conversation to stop the slowdown that's happening on our streets now. Because to say goodbye, unfortunately, but you're saying you're open to revisiting that parts of that legislation, right? And I, what I, my concern is that this uptick in shootings that we are seeing right now, and you know, I speak to a lot of different officers, is it is related to that legislation, whether it's real or not, the perception has become a reality on the ground for a lot of these officers. Um, mm. And, you know, unfortunately, that is what's created part of this atmosphere of a real slowdown. So I want to hear them, but, you know, I want to be clear that, you know, we are never going to accept a black man having a knee on his neck, um, mm. you know, for eight minutes and nearly 47 seconds right. and being killed. So we're open to that conversation um, because we have to stem these shootings. Well, there's a lot more to discuss there. Maybe we'll, we'll pick it up uh, in a phone interview uh, separate from the show here. But uh, Donovan Richards, city council member from Queens, likely next Queensboro president. Thanks so much for the time with us. And we'll talk more soon. Thank you. Always great. Take care. Right. Have a great, rest, uh, great evening. Take care. You too.
So that was Donovan Richards of Queens, a city council member and uh, very likely next borough president with a lot of interesting thoughts on uh, what he'll do as borough president, largely around development, housing, job opportunities. You know, I thought it was really important to keep drawing him out on that because, you know, his perspective is is fairly different than a lot of what's dominating in uh, in New York City politics right now. You're seeing a lot of people who are often opposed to development and uh, the Amazon deal was the biggest example of that. But there's many other examples of that that are much smaller. The Amazon deal was something of a unicorn, um, but there's many other examples on smaller scales. And it'll be, it sounds like Donovan Richards is going to play uh, or is promising to play a pretty aggressive role in bringing development to Queens. So that will be very interesting. All right. A lot more to discuss with Donovan Richards another time. What he said at the end there about police reform and the uh, chokehold diaphragm bill. That was very interesting. And we'll have to follow up on that for more.